You're listening to an adult Sunday school class at Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Well, good morning. It is great to see you all. Great to be back with you. Uh, We are continuing. We're coming to the end of our series on the Westminster Shorter Catechism. We have two more questions, and we have nine more copies of the Shorter Catechism here. We started with 200, and now we are down to nine. And so I think we ordered the perfect number uh, for people. So if you need need a copy, um, Kess is going to go around and give you a copy. And um, if you don't have one, feel free to take it home with you. If you um, forgot yours, um, you can drop it here in the bucket at the end, and we'll, uh, we'll reuse it for folks next week or last week. Um, there's all, they're also available on, phone, on your phone. You can download apps and online. Westminster Shorter Catechism is everywhere. Um, we come today, as I mentioned, to the next to last question. Uh, the, this is the last petition of the Lord's Prayer. Next week, we wrap up the Lord's Prayer, and then the Shorter Catechism is done. But what we're going to do, this week we'll do question 106, next week question 107, and then after that, uh, there's going to do, we're going to do one more week. I'm going to teach that week um, just to kind of wrap things up. Uh, we've done now the Westminster Confession and then the Westminster Shorter Catechism all consecutively. And so we're just going to take a week to step back and think about it. Um, I'm probably going to recap a lot of those things that I said in the first lesson introducing it all, just to remind us why this is important, why we did this. And uh, it's a time for questions. So if you have particular questions about this. Um, It's a great time for that as well. Big picture questions particularly, Um, but we'll take anything. So if you, anything you want me to cover two weeks in that kind of wrap up lesson, let me know. I'm happy to to work that in to our lesson. Um, Any questions about that? Where we're going in Sunday school? Okay, very good. Yes. The test is the week after that. That's right. So, um, yeah, I, I didn't want to tell everybody. I wanted you to show up and not know. Yeah, you're going to, yeah, uh, question on all 107, 107 questions. Who's memorized it? Um, yes. Very good. Good question. <laughs> yes. Yes, sir. I, I, I need one substitute for the three-year-olds. Get to work with Rob Barson. He's a lot of fun. Need a Sunday school? Thank you. All right. Thank you, Ernie. All right. So we are question 106. Question 106 is the sixth petition. This is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I have a couple resources before we go into the text. Um, And these are both uh, older resources, really four, but really two. Um, You'll see what I mean in a second. Um, First book is by Thomas Brooks, 1652, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. It's one of those great Puritan titles um, that books don't have these titles today. But this is fantastic. It's it's, um, really diving into what's going on in our heart and how is Satan leveraging sin against us? How is he tempting us? Um, How is our, our flesh? in the world tempting us? And how do we speak truth uh, in the midst of these lies that we're telling ourselves, that the world is telling ourselves? How do we speak truth to that 
to um, thwart sin and thwart uh, temptation. And the second one, it's kind of three books, kind of uh, one book, kind of two books, um, depending on how you break it out. It's been published many times different ways. Um, Three books together, a trilogy of books by John Owen of the mortification of sin and believers, of temptation and indwelling sin and believers. So these three books, you can find them packaged together in different ways in different books. There's been dozens and dozens of editions. They're kind of doing the same thing. Uh, This is a little bit within the decade or two after Brooks doing the same kind of thing, helping us understand um, the lies that are being told to us and how do we thwart Satan, um, who is telling us lies and seeking to lead us astray. Um, So it's very good. Um, The the mortification of sin has that famous quote, um, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Uh, and it's, it's that encouragement to constantly be killing sin in our lives, mortif- mortifying sin, killing sin. Um, so great resources here. These are all older works. Um, they're fantastic. There's many, many more, but these are some classics that I would recommend. They're not too difficult, um, but they will, you know, they'll, they'll cause you to, to work, but they're not too difficult. All right, so let's go to the text itself of the Catechism, question 106. In the little green book, again, we're at the very, very end here. The next to last page, we'll start by reading the question and answer. Question 106, what do we pray for in the sixth petition? The sixth petition, which is, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We pray that God would either keep us from being tempted to sin or support and deliver us when we are tempted. All right. Um, I want to start us off with some scripture here that will help us uh, illuminate these these topics. And first is from James 1. And uh, I'm sure many of you are familiar with this. I'm going to read this verses 2 through 4 here. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Skip a few verses, come to verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Several things we can say about this. Um, But first, I want to mention some of the language here about the word temptation trial. In English, we use these words differently. They're different words. Um, Temptation is is what we think of a temptation to sin. There's a moral evil, a morality at stake, uh, whereas a trial is simply a difficult thing that you go through. Um, However, in Greek and and in Hebrew as well, um, those, the, there's one word that speaks to both of those realities. So when we have uh, Matthew 6, where we have the Lord's Prayer, um, lead us not into temptation. It's the same word for trial here. So all these words that are bold and underlined, that should be underlined. Um, all the ones that are bold and underlined, it's the same word, including the same word, lead us not into temptation. So a trial, trial, tempted, 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 tempts. These are the same word, but we understand that some of them have a moral dimension to them with leading us into sin, being tempted into sin. Some of them do not. It's just being uh, tried. There's a trial with a difficulty in our life. And 
Um, we'll get to this. Well, I'll just say it now. Um, the question is, who does the tempting? Because the, the Lord's Prayer says, lead us not into temptation. As if God is leading us into temptation. God is leading us to, to see if we will um, be tempted into moral evil. If we will commit immoral acts. But clearly, James says, God himself tempts no one. So God is not the one leading us into evil. Now, there are other trials when you meet various trials of various kinds, and we can speak more so of God being a part of causing those trials, but we're not saying that God is tempting us with evil. God is trying to make us um, uh, commit acts of sin. Um, And so this actually says it's not God that entices us into sin. It is our own desires, our own desires. That's one of the, we'll get to this, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Our desires are tempting us and leading us into sin. Um, But it is not God who does that. It is not God who puts temptation in our way. He permits it and allows Satan to do that. And in our fallen world, those things are in front of us and our fallen desires are there. But it's not God who does that. So we need to be careful as we're reading the text of the the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation. We think that when we are tempted, that for some reason that time God is leading us into temptation. He is not doing that, but he can, as we'll see later, deliver us out of it. Um, Another passage that I think is important here is Ephesians 2. We'll actually read this in our service today uh, for our New Testament reading. And this is where we see that famous triad, uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. This is one place where we see it. It's not ever stated so uh, concisely in Scripture, um, but it's all throughout Scripture and these three kind of sources of moral temptation. Um, And so Paul writes this, You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, there's the world, following the prince of the power of the air, Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So we have the world and the flesh and the devil that are are, are pressing upon us, that are calling us to not be faithful to God, not be faithful to the one who has redeemed us, but calling us into sin saying, no, sin is more attractive than obedience to God. And so we have these three sources we must um, be wary of, be careful of. All right, so a few few ideas and passages um, just putting out on the table so we can have it here as we walk through the text of the confession itself. And so let's, uh, let's do that, or the, the catechism, let's do that. As we uh, look at this, lead us not into temptation. We pray that God would keep us from being tempted to sin. So there's not an implied here that God is tempting us. Um, Don't ever read that or believe that. It is not God who tempts, as James so clearly said. Um, But this next question comes up, what is temptation? What is the nature of temptation? Um, We talked about it briefly for a moment. Does somebody have a definition you want to throw out, or does somebody want to engage on this point? What is temptation? It's, it's actually, when you sit down, it's more difficult to try to define than you think. Um, I guess I was just thinking something or someone making sin look desirable. Okay, yes. Yeah. Something making sin look desirable. Very good. I like that. I like that. I was thinking um, presented with the opportunity to sin. Okay. Okay, so there's opportunity. Yeah, an opportunity and, and sin looking appealing. That's right. Um, I think that's all good. Here, here's my quick little um, little definition. 
if I can find it. Um, okay, anything that is used to draw us away from God and into sin. Um, anything that's used. And so we'll look at some of the opportunity you spoke of. Um, we'll look at that here in a second. But anything that's trying to draw us away from God is a temptation. Um, anything that leads us into sin is a temptation. But historically, we have talked about, in the Reformed tradition, we've talked about two different kinds of temptation. We've talked about external temptation versus internal temptation. So let me, let's talk about external temptation for a minute. Um, and this is similar kind of, I think, John, what you were talking about, um, where external temptation is something on the outside of us that is there that's, that's explicitly with the message, this is good for you, even though it's evil. Something outside, it's the billboard you pass down the road, like with the, with the shiny new car that is dis- displaying the message, with this car, you will be happy. It's displaying to us something that is trying to cause us to covet it to want it with inordinate desire. Every billboard you find is like this. Um, I would talk to our kids about um, uh, commercials on TV. And uh, really the only thing we watch that has commercials is Braves baseball. And, uh, and so it's, it's one of these the streaming platforms. And so they have the same commercials that come on over and over and over and over. And so they get to know these commercials really well. And so I got to the point where I would say, all right, they're lying to you. They're trying to sell you something. They're trying to make you think you are not happy, and they're trying to sell you something. And so we'll, we'll try to mute it sometimes when we're watching. And um, they think it's hilarious when I try to like mimic them and try to tell you the truth behind it, that we're, we're lying to you. We're trying to tell you, if, you're, if you have what we're, tell, what we're selling you, you will be happy. This will be your ultimate fulfillment. And you know, we kind of make it funny. But trying to teach our kids, like every time we see an advertisement, they're trying to, they're trying to tell you, you are not happy. You should not be content where you are. That is an external temptation. Now, to the extent it works, it varies based on person. We'll get to that in a moment. Some of us will see that billboard and we will not care. Some of us are not car people and we see that billboard with a new car and say, I could not care less about that car. Other people are car people and they see that billboard and it, and it creates a little bit of envy inside of them. Um, Depends, and we'll, that's, we'll go to internal temptation in a minute. But this, this message of these external things, again, I'm using this billboard, but it's so many other things, right? Um, anything outside of us that has a message that's trying to create discontentment, to create a, a lustful desire, and not necessarily in a sexual way, but a lustful desire for something that you don't have. And that is sin. And, the, and then doing that thing, following out, uh, sometimes it's not just the desire, but it's calling you to do something sinful. So the very thing that it's calling you to do, buying a car isn't sinful. That's not bad. Having a new car is not sinful. So it's not calling you to do something sinful, but it's trying to create a sinful desire in you to do something lawful. Sometimes it is making things that are sinful look attractive and trying to get you to do a sinful thing. So it takes these different forms. Um, but it is stirring up an internal desire. Um, now, these external sins we're going to, or these external temptations, are not sin. The external temptation, the, the billboard in and of itself is not sin. Now, what happens to you internally, we'll talk about in a moment. But the billboard itself is not sin. Um, the um, I could give 100, 100 examples, and they're off the top of my mind. They probably would not be good examples, so I'm not going to go there. Um, these external temptations are not sin in and of themselves. However, let's look at the internal sin for a minute. 
excuse me, internal temptation. Internal temptation. External temptation is not sin. Internal temptation. And this is where I drive by that brand new car on the street. There's no external temptation. Nobody is packaging that or messaging it to say, uh, you should do this. There's nothing um, that's trying to tell me I'm discontent. I should be discontent with my life. But my internal desires latch onto this car and I lust after it. I desire that car in an inordinate way. Now, there's, it's okay to see a, a nice car go down the street and say, wow, that's a really nice car. It's different, though, when it's stirring up that sense of discontentment, when it's stirring up that, uh, that covetousness within us. And that is an internal temptation because what's going on is your internal self is saying that is good, that is something I desire, and then what am I going to do with that? So some people will say, well, that internal desire is not sin in and of itself. The question is, what do you do with it? If I act on it, that's sin. And absolutely, if I act on that, that's sin. And we can put this in the context of, of sexual lust. And you know, immediately, you know, you're following and tracking where, I, where, I, where we are. It's not just that acting upon that internal desire that is wrong. It is actually that internal desire itself, that internal temptation, the internal temptation that says you want to do more, you, know, you want to go after this car or you want to look after this woman. That internal desire in and of itself is wrong. It's not just what you do after it that's wrong. It is the disordered desire inside of me that we call internal temptation that is in and of itself wrong. Yes? Is that always covetousness? Is it all? What God meant when he said, you Is that all he means when he says that? That's what he meant when he said, I think so. I think so. Is there more? Is there another side you want to tell? I think because <laughs> because I think thou shalt not covet is uh, saying you shall be contented with your state and where you are. Um, you shall not lustfully desire, inordinately desire something else. Now, it is okay to desire something, desire a, 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 your car be, breaks down all the time, to desire a nicer car, but it's different to desire that than it is to have an inordinate desire for that thing. So where that line is, is very difficult, but we always have to be examining our heart, saying, am I discontent with where I am? And the moment I cross the line from contentment into discontentment, that is sin. That is coveting, something that I do not have. So... All right, this is a long, long wind up here. Internal temptation, we've said historically through, through, um, through, through time, the Reformed tradition has always said internal temptation is sin in and of itself. External temptation is not. Think of Jesus in the wilderness. He was tempted externally by Satan. Satan was saying, these three things look beautiful and glorious, and you need to want them, and you need to act upon that want, and you need to worship me, you know, throw yourself off uh, the cliff, etc. He's calling him to do things that were sinful externally. And Jesus rightfully rejected that. He fled from that temptation. He spoke truth to those external temptations with God's word itself. So that's not sin to be tempted externally, but it is sin when our hearts are tempting us, because that's actually our heart's desire calling us to act upon it. Now, praise God that often when you have that internal desire, you say no to it and you don't act upon it. Praise God. And I want to um, say that over and over and over. Keep fighting that battle. Keep waging war with that sin and that desire. But the goal is simply not to act upon our hearts. The goal is to have our hearts rechanged and, and rechanged, changed and reformed and reimaged after Christ and to now desire good things. So 
temptation. Um, I'll, I'll stop there. A few, few more comments. But temptation, what, what do you all think about that? That distinction between external and internal temptation. Is this something you've heard before? Um, something you're familiar with? And John? I'm trying to sort of my mind the, the difference then between inordinate desire and ordinate desire. Mm-hmm. And let me see if I can get this straight. So I, I have my clunky car going down the street, mm-hmm. breaking down all the time. If I say it is lawful and wise for me to get a new car, mm-hmm. therefore I would put efforts towards getting a new car. Yeah. Being content with what I have right now, but working towards making my situation better. Right, right. Or uh, the, if, you are, if you find yourself being a slave, don't let it bother you, but if you can gain your freedom, do so. That's, I think, an ordinate desire. That's right, that's right. And mm-hmm. so something is not lawful if I'm presented with something say, you want this, and it's not lawful. Right. And it is inherently, I should not even pursue it. That's right. Exactly. But there are many things that even the TV might advertise to me that are lawful mm-hmm. and good, and I can pursue them in a wise way. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. Well said. And it often, when it is sinful temptation, it often leads to additional sins. It doesn't stop. That's right. With the very first that's right. Exactly. Sin will always want to compound upon itself. One sin will lead to more sin, lead to deeper sin, um, more perverse sin. Absolutely. Absolutely. So with the car example, just keep, yeah. keeping on with the same example. So then, like, I guess the confusion that could arise is, like, when it is a lawful desire, mm-hmm. like getting the new car because your car is breaking down, but it's a... And your heart is still mm-hmm. so it's right, like right. Your heart is still being tempted, right? So I guess that would be like if your car is breaking down all the time, you want a new car, and then you're wallowing in it, and it's like right. Every time you see someone else driving a car, you're like, "That's not fair." Exactly. My car is breaking down. Yes. I see comments about it all the time. I mean, I'm just speaking from my own example, not not from cars, but like right, garage, right. But like it's really easy to like start wallowing. Yes, yes. That's right. I really want this. It's not fair that I don't have it now. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, It's kind of like a laziness thing. Mm -hmm. It is. And I've shared before, and I'll share it again, I don't read Costco emails (laughs) because it does that to me, right? Um, It makes me want things that I can't have. Of everything, food and everything, right? What, like the snacks. Some of them are outrageously expensive, but they're so good. I can't. That's, that's not wise. I shouldn't spend my money on that. Um, everything in there, the patio furniture, whatever, everything it is. I don't read Costco emails. Um, so, what's that? Don't belong Costco. Well, we like Costco. I mean, there's good. <laughs> I like my sin. No, right. See, but no, but but to the point though, it, there there are lawful things, lots of lawful things at Costco, right? I'm not saying if you read your Costco emails, I'm not saying if you read your Costco emails, it's sin. I'm saying for me, it leads towards sin, right? But um, yeah, we love Costco. We get all kinds of stuff at Costco. But I know the emails, danger. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I would say, like, I think this is sinful in my own experience. Right. I felt convicted over it, which is like sitting there daydreaming about like how long right. I'm gonna have this swing set. Yes. And it's like you're sitting and you're wasting so much time. It's been like 30 minutes. You're like, wow, I've just been sitting here daydreaming about like 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just a waste of yeah. time. All right, Nate, redeem Costco for us. Uh, <laughs> uh, it feels like the litmus test, and I use the word feels facetiously. The litmus test for so much of us, I think, when it comes to temptation, well, this, okay, so this is a temptation uh, because it feels like wrong or it doesn't feel wrong. And I hear this all the time with college students where it's just like, well, I don't feel like that's a bad Right. So, can you talk about how exactly we uh, we inform and sanctify our emotional our emotions just in general right. in order for that witness to that feeling that gut reaction right. to uh, correctly guide us in regards to what's ordinary. Right, right. So, so let's let's come back to that in a second. Let's let's keep going to this next point, and then we'll. I think it'll lead into that a little bit uh, more naturally. Um, but that's a great question. So, back to the text. We pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Um, so what we're saying here, that it is God who rescues us from temptation, right? What we're saying here is we're, we're acknowledging a dependence upon God for reorienting my desires, for when there are external temptations that I would not walk down that path and my heart would not be stirred by that and I would not desire evil things and I would not have inordinate desires in me. But also when, um, when I have internal temptations, right, that the Lord would not allow me to go further down that path as well. So it, I know it is what it is God's power that I need to resist temptation. However, we have Matthew 26, and this is fascinating. Um, and this, this is going to answer, I think, start going to Nate's point here. Um, this is Matthew 26, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He has his disciples. He asks them to pray. Keep watch and pray. Jesus is going to pray. Matthew 26, 40 and 41. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus commands them in order to resist temptation to watch and pray that you would not enter into temptation. Watch and pray. So at this one time, we're called to pray, Lord's Prayer, Jesus calls us to pray, but there's also, we're called also to watch. And if you uh, read John Owen's Of Temptation, that whole book is an exposition of watch and pray. Uh, That's all that he's talking about there. Watch and pray. What does this mean to watch and pray? And I think this is really getting to, okay, how do we change? We change by watching and praying. We watch, watch our own heart. Watch, watch the world around us. Watch those things that we know are stumbling blocks for us. And we keep on alert and we resist and we pray and we avoid them. And by praying, God is actually at work. God is actually working in us and changing our desires and changing our affections. But it's not just, God, do this for me. There's also the aspect of the watching. We are called to put our hand to the plow and to hate what is sinful. And we're called to meditate on what is good. We're called to say no and to resist. And so we are called to obey here. And so this isn't just to throw up my hands. Oh, well, I'm sinning. God didn't give me enough grace today. Oh, well, maybe next time he will. That's not at all what this prayer leads us to. This leads us to ourselves also pursuing diligently obedience. And so how do we, how do we sanctify our affections? Um, how do we sanctify our feelings and our desires? desires. Um, I mean, I don't have a short answer to that other than watch and pray. Commit yourselves to examining your heart 
see where, see what lies I believe, see what terrible things I desire, and repent of that. Confess your sins. Sit under the preaching of God's word. Worship with God's people, the ordinary means of grace. Um, but it does require, and, and I'm against this kind of morbid introspection that some people are prone to, um, but we are called to introspection. We are called to evaluate our own hearts and where we are. And what is motivating me? What's driving me? I fell into sin this time. What happened? What was the first domino that started? Okay, in wisdom, I went to avoid even that first domino that led me that way. Um, if I'm prone to get angry with my spouse, what are those situations that happen? Why do I want that? Am I trying to demean the spouse? Am I trying to show how wonderful and smart and great I am? What leads to that situation? What kind of situations do we put ourselves in that lead to that? How do I avoid the situation? How do I also change my heart to now love my spouse and not see my spouse as an enemy, somebody I have to, to demean and yell and scream at? Um, all of those questions need to be asked, and we need to be evaluating that. I don't know, Nate. You can... No, you can great. I just love that imagery of uh, standing guard, not just against the world and the external temptation, but also standing guard and watching right. your own sinful heart. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Ray. It seems there's a, a correlation between the temptation, whether it's internal or external, and, and being able to exercise self-control. Yes. Spirit, yes. Which the believer has is the union with Christ. And you mentioned about by the power of God. That's right. I think it's a proper exercise of self-control. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And that's really, I mean, Christ was doing that when he was tempted. It was self-control. It was not allowing himself to um, be overcome by what Satan was enticing him with. He said, no, I don't need the self-control. A really, really good point. Jesus, uh, Yeah. Very well said. Very, very well said. Yeah, Jim. There seems to be in this question a tension of engaging with God's providence and being aware of it and man's will mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how that works, works together right. in a mysterious sort of way. That's right. This aspect of we've got some no temptation to see you accept that which is common to man and he'll allow you to bear up under it. I mean, this whole thing of remembering when God won't put you in a place when there's trial that you're not able to handle, but right. there's a sense of your own temptation, mm-hmm. you can still sin, but you should be able to bear up Right. That's right. That's right. Yep. Very good. Very good. What the importance, again, this goes to Jesus' command to his disciples in the garden, watch and pray. If, are, if, are, are we actually praying about our temptations? Are we praying about this? Um, the Lord's Prayer says this is one of those six most important things for you to pray about, is temptation. And you need to pray against temptation. You need to pray that the Lord would protect you, pray that the Lord would build you up so that you would not be led into temptation. It's so important, and I don't think we, we do this enough. A good measure is that it becomes Mm-hmm. Right, that's right. That you 
That's right. Not just by your actions, but in your spirit. That's right. Yeah, we desire these things more than God himself. Um, and we don't see them as a gift from God. We see them as, as the end-all, be-all in and of themselves. So, yeah, I think, I think that's right. Yeah, Mark. I think it was in the mortification of spin when I heard there's the podcast that's the mortification of spin, a play on the word. So, yes. And, um, you know, where it, it dawned on me that where my mind goes when I'm not engaged in activity, yeah. where my daydreams go, a lot of that is where my temptation or my covetousness. Right. That's right. That's right. That's right. And, um, you know, I was just looking up that quote from St. Augustine where he said, I love God and do what you please. You know, to answer Nate's earlier question, but in order to do that, um, we have to go to Colossians to be filled. And uh, mm-hmm. this is first uh, Colossians 1, uh, 9 through 10. I'll just read a portion of this. We have not ceased pray for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleased and bearing fruit in every good work and increasing the knowledge increasing in the knowledge so we have to be filled with the knowledge yeah to that's right know God, to love God, and that's right to please because he's reforming mm-hmm. desires mm-hmm. so that's, that's right <laughs> and yeah, and that's where part of the importance of resisting temptation is not simply a saying no to sin, but it's saying yes and, and desiring that which is good. It's pursuing righteousness. So um, our, our growth in sanctification is not just saying no, no, no to sin. It's saying yes to what is good and holy and wonderful. Yeah, I mean, it's just the whole nature hates a vacuum like, idea. Is this, oh, say that again. The what? Yes. Exactly. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and, and it is. That's right. That's right. And and temptation of you know you like think in um, even like more social settings and, and temptations to prove that you're the smartest in the room, right? I mean, temptations to show how how uh, well you know the these how well connected you are. You know people. You have power. You know your temptation to drop these lines to say these things. And what am I doing? I'm seeing people now as as obstacles and as weapons and things to demean. And so, like Nate said, I need to pursue the good of other people. Who cares who I know? Who cares how much I know about these, these topics we're discussing? I want to build up these people that are here, seeing them not as um, people to dehumanize, but people to build up in Christ and with all the gifts God's given me. Um, one, one point I missed, and we're going to move to the second part here in a second, is the, the petition begins and, and lead us not into temptation um, because it comes on the heels of last time. Um, Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. So the topic of sin is on the table. I am a sinner. I am called to forgive others. God, I need you to forgive me. And I don't want to continue in that way. 
So don't allow me to be tempted. Don't allow me to walk down that path. Keep me away from sin. And then this last part is uh, deliver us from evil. And, and the language of the catechism here is support and deliver us when we are tempted. So this is saying when there is evil, when we are in the midst of evil, when we are overcome by evil, and here actually they equate temptation and evil. So even when I am have fallen into temptation, um, praying for deliverance out of that. So that's one, I think, one species of the evil here is temptation itself. Sometimes we do fall into temptation and we are in the midst and the struggle of that war. I have this desire, but I don't want to act upon it. You're in the war. Am I going to do it or am I not going to do it? Deliver me, O Lord, in those moments from my own desires, from my own temptation, my own sin. And whether it's external, Lord, when I'm in the, minute, in the moment where these, the world is trying to teach me, to, to show me these messages, to teach me what, how great the things of the world are. In those moments when they're invading me and my mind and my heart, help me to say no and not even see the good that the world is trying to present as good. Um, I, I need the Lord to deliver me from all of temptation and all of sin. I, I think this even goes beyond temptation. The catechism stops at temptation. I think it goes beyond that to deliver me from evil. Um, when I'm in sin, when I have fallen into sin, deliver me out of it. We need the Lord's deliverance at all times from all of our sin. We need him to protect us from ourselves. We need him to protect others from us. And so this ultimate, this deliverance from our sin is a prayer for sanctification. It's a prayer for growth in Christ. It's a prayer that we would see God as glorious and wonderful and look more like him and resist our sin more and more every day. Um, I see, yeah. Is it also a prayer for, um, in some sense, temporal deliverance from external evil? Yes, absolutely. From persecution, Yes. Um, Paul says, uh, I, I, I'm confident that your prayers and the Holy Spirit will deliver me from prison, but, but even if you, I forgot exactly how he turns the phrase, but like, also, um, I know, King, that even if you throw us in the fire, God, he will deliver us, yet even if he does not, we will not bow down to you. That's exactly right. Yes. Deliver from evil. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Evil. Yeah. Deliver us from evil, the persecution, the hatred, the, you know, whatever the world is doing to us, believers, Christians, deliver us from that. Absolutely. Um, and Joseph, you know, great example of that. Um, the Lord delivering him and in his, you know, what was intended for evil, God meant for good. So God uses even the evil done to us. God can deliver us from that and does deliver us from that. Um, and God intends for good. Um, how many of you all use the translation um, or know the translation, deliver us from the evil one? Yes. I mean, why, why do we say evil and not evil one? Why does the catechism say that? What's in the Greek? Good question. <laughs> okay, we're evil too. Yeah, so it, it's going back to the Greek. So in Greek, uh, evil is an adjective. Evil is, is something that describes something else. And so the question is, is this evil, should we keep it as an adjective? Um, and so it has to describe something. So 
we'll put the evil one. Usually you do that, like um, talk about the good or something like that and other adjectives. Often the way you're taught in early Greek is to just put one after it, the good one or the evil one, um, because it's an adjective and needs to be describing something. But it can also, these adjectives can also be turned into substantivals. Um, and that's a little more rare, but it can where it's actually speaking of something itself that is evil. So evil is now not just an adjective, but it is a, prop, it is a noun. It is a substance in and of itself. It's a subject here. So um, most translations, if you have the, I grew up on the NIV, and the NIV does evil one. Uh, so I grew up with uh, evil one. But um, most other translations, King James says evil. Most of them say evil. But I, I know for some people that might be, um, uh, might be a little bit of an issue. Why do we do evil and not evil one, like when we do the Lord's Prayer here? Um, because we think the more faith, the better way of translating this. This isn't speaking about Satan exclusively. It's talking about Satan and the world and our flesh. So uh, like Rob said, we have evil in us. And so we're asking to be delivered even from ourselves. Um, so just an interesting grammatical point there. For me, it's maybe more interesting than anybody else. Um, but anyway, there's so much, so much more here. Um, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Um, one commentator said, these six petitions that we've just walked through, this is all that we need. And these six petitions contains everything that we need in this life. And I love here, though, it ends on this note of deliverance. And we're going to talk about the, the kind of doxology afterwards next week. But it ends with deliverance. Because ultimately, there's that great hope at the end of all this. There is the great hope of final and complete and total deliverance on that final day when Christ returns and we are brought up in glory with him. And so I love how these petitions even end with that hope, uh, that, that eternal hope here. Deliver us from evil. Even though now we will um, undergo evil, we will not ever be completely purged of our sin in this life we will be delivered from it ultimately and finally. And even this petition ends with such glorious hope for us that we can wait with expectation, a hopeful expectation of Christ's return. And uh, so these wonderful six petitions are so deep and they're so much good for us. And I pray that we all will use this as a tool as we, in our own lives, as we pray the Lord's Prayer individually, as we pray the Lord's Prayer corporately, together as we do from time to time, that it will um, help us grow in Christ. Um, that's what this is designed to do, not just to give us a model to pray, but to know God more deeply. So let us pray and close and thank God for this. Lord, we thank you that you have given us and Christ has given us these words to pray, helping us prioritize what is important, what is needed for us in this life. And we do pray that you would lead us as a body and as individuals, not into temptation, but you would deliver us from evil. Help us, Lord, that we would watch and pray. May we see sin as the evil it truly is and not be allured by the schemes of the world. And we pray that you would be at work renovating our hearts, that we would exude good and pleasing desires that would lead us to loving you and loving our neighbors well. We thank you, Lord, for these these words that we can study, be edified by. And we pray now as we come into your house to worship you, that you would be glorified and you would build up your people. We thank you, Lord, for Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.com.